Hey moms, have you ever felt overwhelmed by all that's going on in the world? Has it become a burden to you? Have you ever wondered what moms are called to when it comes to politics? These are some of the things that I'm going to be talking about today on the Dorinda Wilson podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm so thankful that you're here today. Um, I'm excited about tackling this topic. The The funny thing is that um, I tried recording this twice already and have had... Um, no success. The first time, it just felt like it was way too long and arduous. The second time, the sound was terrible because I forgot to set up correctly. So I'm here a third time to record this. And I can't help but think that, you know, there's a little bit of pushback from the enemy um, in not wanting me to say what I'm going to say today. So with that in mind, I challenge you to listen um, at a time and place when you can really take it in um, because it's pretty, it could be pretty life-changing and definitive in terms of uh, being a catalyst or a um, a bit of a turning point or a tweak for you in your life, in your motherhood, in your family life that could change the trajectory of your family life. Um, but before I dive in, I know there are probably some new listeners out there and so I want to make sure that you know a little bit about me. Um, I am married to Daryl, and we have been married for 33 years. We have eight kids, ages 18 to 32. We have nine grandkids, and we've been homeschooling for about 28 years now. And I have also written a couple of books. Um, the first one was The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling. The next one was... Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, um, 31 Days in God's Word. That was a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschooling moms. And then the last one I wrote is the four-hour school day, how you and your kids can thrive in the homeschool life. You can find all three of those books on Amazon. You can find them at DorindaWilson.com. You can also find the four-hour school day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the two places that I just mentioned. I also want to remind you that I have an online mentoring course that I did a few years back, and it is the Unhurried Homeschooler Mentoring Course. And in these videos, uh, what I do is talk about what it looks like to take a more simple, unhurried approach to homeschooling. And um, and I cover ages kindergarten through 12th grade. I mentioned several valuable resources. Um, these are videos that once you purchase, you have access to for a lifetime. You can go back to them over and over and over again. I'll leave a link in the show notes uh, for that uh, particular mentoring course. Well, it's the only mentoring course I have. But <laughs> anyway, I'm also going to leave a link for all the places that I'm going to be speaking in 2023. The conference season is typically around February or March through July or August. And so I will be in eight different places. And so if you want to see where I'm going to be and uh, possibly try to meet me there at these at these events, I would love to meet you in person. Lastly, I want to make sure that I share with you um, one of my favorite math resources, and that is CTC Math. I recently received... Um, a message from a listener who 
said this, um, I now have my son on CTC Math. He is my oldest of five and he loves it. He told me he likes that he can move faster than our previous material allowed him to. This also has freed me up for more time to spend more focused time with my two and three-year-olds. This is fantastic. Thank you for telling your podcast listeners about CTC Math. I can already tell this will be very helpful for us. So moms, if you'd like to check out CTC Math, um, go to ctcmath.com and be sure to check out their free trial. I love being able to try before you buy, and that is something that CTC Math offers. Again, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Okay, let's dive into this topic of motherhood and politics. I'm going to start by telling about years ago when I had... Oh gosh, six kids, nine and under, or five kids, seven and under. I can't remember. It was right in that time frame when I just realized I could not listen to the news. I could not look at newspapers without getting stressed out. And you guys, this was before the internet. So uh, that tells you something. I just felt overwhelmed by just the few bad things <laughs> that were going on in the world that we could see uh, through, you know, newspaper and the news. And my husband and I didn't didn't tend to turn the news on, but, you know, sometimes you just end up listening to it or hearing it on the radio or whatever. And so I just remember being really, um, just feeling really overwhelmed by it, feeling really vulnerable. Um, and I think there's a reason for that, especially when our children are young, we are so conscious of how vulnerable they are in terms of what's going on in the world and our need and desire to protect them. And as moms, we have a very nurturing nature. And so that really, um, really gets touched and set off um, and really set off into fear very easily because of that. Um, so this nurturing nature we have is a gift. It is something that God gave us. And so I think that it's a good thing, but we also need to be careful to guard our hearts. And so this is what I really, really needed to do. And um, I wasn't sure what to do about it um, because there's always that, that, that line of thinking that people say, um, if you say, well, I don't watch the news or I don't read the newspaper, they'll say, but how will you know what's going on in the world? And yet, so you feel irresponsible as a parent, as an adult, because you're not listening to all of it. So I went to my husband and I asked him, what should I do? This is what's happening. This is how I feel. Um, this is how it's affecting me. And he just looked at me and said, Dorinda, just let me handle it. Let me keep up with the news and all that's going on. And if there's something you need to know, I'll let you know about it. I'll let you know. And I was like, this is great. And that was a wonderful filter that I literally used for well over a couple of decades. Now, fast forward to um, recent years, the last few years when COVID came onto the scene and the, everything was changing so quickly. And then politically, things were changing very quickly um, in terms of elections and you know election fraud, things like that. And I found myself listening a lot more and actually getting somewhat involved locally. And... Uh, you know, I eventually found myself burnt out, overwhelmed in that same space, even though my children weren't small anymore. And can I just say, if your children are small, um, it is very hard to imagine them as responsible adults who can handle themselves in the world we live in. 
But moms, if we invest at home and we invest into our kids um, over these years, that's exactly what they're going to be. They're going to be able to handle it. We were made for such a time as this as mothers, and they were made for such a time as this to live. God has sovereignly has put them and us in this particular place in history, on this history timeline with intention. So we do not need to be afraid. However, we do need to guard our hearts and we need to trust the Lord. That's the that's going to be the biggest message throughout um, this particular uh, podcast episode. But I will say that after go getting back into that place again, where I had just overwhelmed myself with too much information, too much going on, um, and I think a lot of moms have found themselves there. I've, I've received a lot of letters and messages um, from moms, um, even more so over the last few years, who have found themselves completely drowning in anxiety and stress. Um, as they too were allowed, they allowed themselves to be overwhelmed with information about all that's been going on. So I decided I needed to go back to that um, previous plan. And so I just told my husband, look, I'm not going to pay attention to the news or anything else. I am just going to focus on what's right in front of me. And moms, believe it or not, even though seven of my kids are grown, um, well, our our youngest is 18, but uh, he is, he's a little bit, uh, it's going to take him a little while longer to mature and be out on his own. He's recently diagnosed with autism. So, you know, and we've got a 20-year-old daughter living at home and she's wonderful. I love that she's here. She doesn't, she's not demanding or anything, but I also have, you know, grandchildren and, um, and this ministry that the Lord has graciously given me um, that I try to steward well. And all of that is more than enough for me to uh, be paying attention to and to steward. And so I just know that for myself, and I'm not embarrassed by this, that I don't, I I can't handle it. I I think it's really important that we understand. I, I just don't think that we were made to take in all the information that we have access to. We weren't created to know all of the bad things that are happening. It's just too much. I remember several years ago when our our second daughter um, was just feeling really burdened and heavy and just really struggling. And her two-year-old, I, I, out of the mouths of babes, you guys, the two-year-old, her two-year-old looks at her and puts her hand on her shoulder and says, is too heavy, mommy. And my daughter just broke down weeping because she just felt like the Lord was speaking to her through her little two-year-old. Um, and saying, you know, this is too much for you. You don't need to carry all this. You weren't made to carry all this. We don't need to be embarrassed by our human limitations. We need to be wise in our consumption of information. It's one of the challenges of living in this particular time in history. This is, we have so many wonderful things like me being able to sit in front of this microphone and encourage you as a mentoring mom is such an incredible blessing. And so these phones we have and the internet that we have and the access we have to information is a blessing, but it is also um, something we need to steward well. We need to look at it as a tool. So we wouldn't, we don't, we wouldn't misuse a tool. Like if we took a hammer, we wouldn't try to use it as a screwdriver, right? We're just going to use it for what it was intended for. Otherwise it's not going to be productive or fruitful. Okay. We were called to fruitfulness. We're called to productivity. So, you know, I could be able to grab my phone or my computer and look up a recipe 
for dinner, what a huge blessing. But if I'm going down rabbit holes of politics and this news story and that news story or, you know, something on social media, maybe that's not good stewardship of that particular tool. So we have to be self-disciplined. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of self-control. Um, in some translations, it says self-discipline. So it is self-control and self-discipline that is part of what keeps us from fear. So let me go back over that verse. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Okay, God's love for us carries us through all opposition. It sets us above the fear of man. and isn't so much of the fear that we experience, fear of man, fear of what's happening in our government, fear of what's happening with the powers that be, fear of what's happening globally. It's just fear of man. And God calls us to not fear man, but to fear God above all else. Okay. And so I'm going to be reading some scriptures um, that speak to that. So God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of self-control or self-discipline. Other translations say a sound mind. So the spirit of God get the spirit that God gives us is a courageous spirit because we speak in his name who has all power in heaven and earth. We have to remember who we serve. And we, it's going to be very difficult to remember that when we are thinking about all these things that we could be fearful about. So whenever I find myself overwhelmed by bad news or information, I always go back to basic foundational principles. And if you've followed me for any length of time, you know what those are. God is sovereign and God is good. I really want to focus on the fact that he's sovereign today. So that's really going to be um, the main theme in terms of the scriptures that I'm going to be reading. But as we look around at the corruption and the evil that is going on in our government and in the world globally, we have to remember God rules over all kingdoms. Daniel 2.21 says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king... King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. That is just speaking so clearly that no matter who is in charge, God is ultimately in charge over that person or people. Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 11, remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Do you hear the power and the sovereignty there? John 19, verses 10 and 11. Pilate is speaking to Jesus, um, and this is just before Jesus is crucified. And Pilate says this to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had be been given you from above. 
Daniel 4.17. This decision is by the decree, of the, the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of, kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. So we have to continually, we must continually remember who God is and that he holds all things in his hands. He is sovereignly in control of everything. This doesn't mean we have to understand it all. The scripture is very clear. It says that um, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. How many times in history, specifically in biblical history, have we seen God do something? And the people in that time, not knowing where this, where things would lead, are standing there looking at each other like, what just happened here? This really seems like a bad, bad idea, right? I picture the Israelites at the right there at the Red Sea with the uh, Pharaoh and all his army following them and getting ready to destroy them. That looks like a really bad idea, doesn't it? But then what does God do? He opens up the waters. So we do not have to understand it all. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He is God and we are not. However, it is more tempting to struggle with trusting him when we know about too many things. Again, we are limited and those things end up overtaking our thought life because it's impossible to take that many thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 4.8 tells us what we should be thinking about. It's really, really clear. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So I'm going to share with you some excellent and praiseworthy things to be meditating on from Psalm 103, verses 3 through 19. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Moms, we're going to forget his benefits if we are overwhelmed with all the bad things that are happening and we're so involved in, and invested emotionally in those things who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Moms, we are a holy people. We are set apart from the world. Yes, we live in the world, but we are not of it. So when we see judgment happening, and I believe that is what we're seeing we can still rest assured that God is caring for us because he has made a covenant with us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. 
He is our God and we are his people. And that will never, ever, ever change. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Moms, he is not upset with us because we can't handle it. Because we can't handle all this that's going on in the world. Because we can't handle processing it. He does not hold that against us. Our weaknesses are not an offense to him. Okay? He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. It is okay to tuck ourselves under his wing, to hide ourselves in the crevice of the rock, our God. Verse 15 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Moms, this stuff that's going on in the world, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness, listen carefully, to children's children. Think multi-generationally. Think investing in the next generation. Think the long game. So he says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So the question you might want to ask me right now is, are we not supposed to be involved in politics? So my short answer is, minimum, pray and vote. Never give up your right to vote. Now, I remember when my kids were all young, it was very difficult to keep up with all that was going on. Specifically in the local elections, the big elections always get a lot of press, but your local elections, your grassroots level, that is where change actually um, happens. It starts at a local level. So don't dismiss your local elections. They are very, very, very important. So what I used to do is one, I would lean into my husband to find out who was doing what. I believe that there... um, there, is, there are some organizations out there who will share conservative um, information um, on each of the candidates. That's another potential option. What I used to do is go to my grandpa. He was a conservative, Christian, Bible-believing man, and he kept up with all of it. It was a passion of his. And so he would just sit down with me and go over my ballot. And, um, or I would just sit down and write down so that when I went to the, to the ballot box, which is what I would recommend, vote on the actual voting day and vote after three o'clock. That's my little tip there for uh, making sure that your vote counts. This is something I learned over the last few years. Anyhow, so I would get that information from him. Maybe you could find someone in your church, an older person who's really, uh, you know and trust and and have them help walk you through it. Uh, because we want, to, we want to make sure that our vote counts. But here's the thing that I, I really, this may divert from, you know, kind of common thinking about politics. I really believe that biblically we should let our husbands take the lead on the political front. And I know that's probably not a popular thing to say, um, but, and what do I believe about women being involved in politics? Well, I cannot say that a woman hasn't prayed and been led by the Lord to run for office I can't say that because I don't know her heart. I don't know what the Lord has spoken to her. But I believe that in 
in terms of scripture that having women in political leadership, um, it, it can be good, but I don't know that it's God's best, if that makes sense. Biblically, men are called to take the leadership role and we are to be that irreplaceable support system for them. You know, the neck that turns the head kind of thing, right? But I, you know, I believe there are some women out there doing a bang up job. I just don't know that that is God's best. Um, I don't, I don't believe that it's ideal. Um, the reason is because every, every hour, day, week, month invested into politics is, is time not invested into that woman's family. And, um, you know, <laughs> you know, again, I don't have all the answers. That's just my humble opinion on that. So um, I do believe that one of the reasons that women have stepped up is because the men aren't stepping up. They have taken a um, a lesser role, partly because culture has demeaned men for so long, and feminism has really um, become rampant even in the church, and men aren't encouraged to take the leadership roles. And I think that's the number one thing that we should be doing is encouraging that. Um, and again, this isn't an excuse. Like men are called biblically to take leadership roles. If they're not doing that because they're intimidated by women telling them that they can't, that's on them, okay? But that'll that's all I'm gonna say about that. But that's kind of like where I'm coming from in a nutshell. And so I'm going to divert just a little bit on a little side story and the history of coffee houses. And there's a purpose behind that. So back in 1475, is that's, that's the earliest date that's been, you know, uh, recorded of the uh, existence of a coffee house or coffee type house. Now, coffee establishments continued to spread with the first one opening up in Britain in 1652. Um, and the British called their coffee houses penny universities because for the cost of a cup of coffee, you could gain access to intellectual discussions and critically sober debate. This is where social upper-class businessmen were found. Um, and so coffee houses provided an alternative place to gather, socialize, and share ideas. It was an idea-sharing place. Coffee's affordability and egalitarian structure, um, because of it, anyone could come in and order a cup. And it eroded centuries of social norms. So this was a place where ideas were happening, debates were going on, intelligent thought was happening. Um, so the fascinating thing about this, and this is the point of why I'm sharing this with you, is that they did not allow women to participate in that. Now, I don't think that's right, but that was the culture, right? So what did women do? Resourceful as they are. They began having these com conversations over their dining room table and no one could stop them. This is how they influenced culture. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Intellectual conversation, debate, ideas, um, you know, theology. We can have those conversations with people over our dining room tables. The people that God has already put in front of us in our sphere of influence, first of all, our children, our husbands, and then the people, the other people outside of our homes that can be invited into our homes, that automatically come into our homes. We can influence the next generation over our dining room tables. 
And I just love the idea of that. And I'm going to share with you in a minute why I think this is such a great plan. But right now, I want to just talk about what kind of life God calls us to, right? So when we get people get involved in politics, um, it is typically out there. It is loud. Uh, the other thing that I find disturbing about women getting involved in politics is how vulnerable it makes their families. And also when they're in a leadership position, um, I think it can be somewhat of a difficulty on their marriages. And um, my, my point being Often politics is loud, you are vulnerable, um, your family becomes vulnerable, um, it is. it attracts attention, but what kind of life does God actually call us to? What does he say is the most ambitious way that we can live our life? Here's what he has to say in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12, and I'm going to do a separate podcast really expounding on this. these couple of verses. Um, it says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Think about that, moms. The quiet life over the dining room table versus throwing ourselves out there into a vulnerable place. Um, wow. But God is saying, lead a quiet life, mind your own business, okay? When we're interjecting into all these online conversations and debates, are those conversations our business? And is the public square, is that is that where God wants us? Now, there may be, there has been an occasion where I have felt like God has led me to participate in a conversation Um they have been few and far between because quite frankly, I've got enough right in front of me in real life that I need to be investing in. And the the cool thing about this, this leading a quiet life is it is a very um, under the radar way to affect change in our culture. I think when he's talking about a quiet life, I'm actually going to expound on that in the next, in an in upcoming episode. So I'm not going to try to do that right now because I've got a lot more to share with you. But when we just mind our own business and work with our hands, do the doing the work that God has put in front of us to do, this is what, this is when our daily life wins the respect of outsiders. And it makes us so we are not dependent on anybody. We are dependent on God. So why can we do this? Why can we trust God to this degree that we can live this quiet life, work with our hands, mind our own business? Why can we do this? Well, let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 118 verses five through nine. And again, this is addressing, um, it, is, it is addressing politics. So I, what I'm thinking as we're going into this passage is I'm thinking, okay, this quiet approach, this under the radar approach versus this large and in charge approach. Okay. Hmm. Let's look at the scripture. What does the scripture have to say? Verses, uh, Psalm 118, verses five through nine. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Matthew Henry comments on these verses saying this. 
he that devotes himself to God's guidance and government with an entire dependence upon God's wisdom, power, and goodness, has a better security to make him easy than if all the kings and potentates of the earth should undertake to protect him. So mom's God's, mom's God's protection is far better and more effective than anything the government or kings have to offer. So we do not need to put our trust, as the scriptures say, in horses and chariots and in these kingdoms that rise and fall. Because with it comes all of our emotions, all of our energy invested into what is essentially fear of man. We need to trust the Lord. We trust in his guidance. We let him govern our lives. So what I'm proposing is that when it comes to politics, maybe the most effective action we can take is one that is subversive. Subversive means this, a systematic attempt to overthrow or undermine a government or political system by persons working secretly from within. So in other words, if we wanna affect change, I am proposing that the most effective way that we can do that is a subversive way, okay? The gospel is the greatest subversive act of all time because you might look at that and go, oh, you know, is is that okay for us to do that? But yes, absolutely. Here's the problem is Christians haven't been doing that. We have not been standing up for what's right, for what is biblical. First of all, in the churches, preaching the truth of God's word from the pulpit. That has been a huge, huge problem and it has impacted our culture greatly and our politics greatly. Um, And so what we need to understand um, is that the gospel is subversive because it stands as a contradiction and confrontation to all manifestations of world religions. Um, It makes a call for uh, repentance from idolatry to the true and living God. And this is something believers have not been doing in politics, out of politics, A lot of times, even in the church, but even in the public square, we have not said, no, that is wrong. And when God puts that opportunity in front of us, we absolutely speak the truth. But mostly we live the truth. And we do that by living a biblically obedient life to God within our families. So, um. What's happening, you know, overall, there's just a continual worship of idols, right? And what I mean by that is people are worshiping men. They worship political figures. They worship entertain uh, the entertainment industry, those entertainment figures. And it's just a ton of idol worship. And it's it, they're counterfeits of the one true God. And all the questions that people are wanting answered by these, by by chasing after these gods, these other religions cannot answer. They're only answered by the triune God alone, okay? Living a biblical family life is a subversive act. We change our country and politics from the inside out, and it starts in the home. Politics flows downriver from culture, And culture flows downriver from the church and the family. God is the one who instituted the church and the family as the pillars of society. And because those have frayed and crumbled and not stood strong when it comes to all these issues, we have the politics that we have. We have the government and the politics we have because it is is what our country as a whole wants. 
And they want it because their hearts have strayed further and further from God. This has been going on for decades, long before you or I came onto the scene. So in other words, it didn't happen overnight. It's not going to change overnight. The most expedient thing we can do is pour ourselves into the places of influence that God has already given us. Most importantly, with our families. We must set our faces like flint toward God and what he has for us, his government, his ways of doing things. We must be uncompromisingly faithful to love and serve our husbands and children and grow and raise these children who will continue Christ's work in their families and spheres of influence. This is how God will change the church, our culture, and eventually our politics. But it starts within the four walls of our homes. Think think of it as the long game. When we live biblically as families, we are participating in one of the most powerfully subversive acts because we are waging war according to God's instructions. This is not going to make sense to the world because his ways are not our ways. They're not going to make sense to the world. However, again, this subversive act is powerful. Let's think about how God wages war, all right? 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, so we are here in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we live our biblical, godly lives within the four walls of our homes, we are destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Because every time we submit to our husbands, every time we discipline our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and we disciple them, we are declaring that Jesus is the king. He is the king of the earth. He is the king of our country. He is the king of this, our states, our counties, our cities, our communities. And it starts by him being Lord and king of our homes. But we are actively declaring that as we walk in obedience to the Lord. So your greatest political and cultural and kingdom contribution will be the children you raise and the husband that you love and respect. I'm gonna leave you with a final scripture passage to let you meditate again on the sovereignty of God over world affairs. Moms, we can fully invest here at home because God has got all things in control. Does that mean we never do anything politically? I just caution that my main caution would be don't let it distract you from the work that God has put in front of you with your families. If you can do something, God brings something along and you can do something that isn't going to impact that negatively, or you can include your children in it, by all means do that. But make sure that you are bringing it before the Lord and asking him for wisdom and discernment and remembering that it's not us. It's not us that's going to save the world. It is God. 
He is the king and he rules over all. I'm going to read Isaiah 40 verses 12 through 31. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Now, let me stop and just say that doesn't mean God doesn't care about the nations. It means their power is nothing. Compared to God, their power is nothing. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering would select wood that won't rot, and they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. But do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God, we thank you for these just stark, amazingly clear reminders of who you are. Thank you that we put our hope in you and that you renew our strength. Lord, help us not to live in fear of man, but rather to live in fear of you, which is just simply acknowledging your power and your greatness. Lord, you said the fear of man is a snare. Keep us from allowing ourselves to be snared in those traps that happen when we begin 
to be fearful of man. We don't need to fear God because you are our God. You are our rock. Help us to tuck ourselves under your wing, Lord, to allow you to protect us, to watch over us, to keep us, Lord, and help us to rest in that tender, loving, and yet so such powerful care. Lord, give us wisdom as we raise our children. Give us discernment. May we stay laser focused on walking in obedience to you within the four walls of our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.